Well, good morning. Thank you for breaking away. And in fact, some people are even uh, skiing this morning on dirt. So, but good for them. Hey, you know there's good news. It's supposed to be snowing this next week. So, um, that's exciting. Very exciting. Aaron, sorry about all this. I've got so much to move up here. We're kind of fancy up here. So, but welcome. If you're brand new, this is, uh, oh, the kids be dismissed for Sunday school right now. And, uh, you know, just, just want to say welcome. And I hope that you enjoy. We've got so many visitors throughout the winter as winter is going to come that uh, people just come and they ski and, and snowboard and just enjoy the outdoors. And, and we just want to be a, a, a group that is welcoming to everybody. And uh, we just want you to know that if uh, you are out of state this morning, that we are a Seattle Seahawk group. Whoa. Easy. I hear that. I, I, I knew that would wake you up, okay? Okay, Utes. All right, Utah. What a great game, wasn't it? And I guess we're still trying to figure out who we're going to play. So um, it's exciting. They, they, what's that? Iowa? I, okay, this is going to have, we're going to have a fight in here. Okay, bad question, bad opening. Um, I was out talking to somebody this morning, they really didn't know. So anyways, the good news is that it is going to, to snow. Maybe. Waiting for snow. The thing is about snow is that you don't have control of it. You can make it, but actually the snow from the heavens, you can't really control. Hate it. I just hate the fact that we can't control weather at times. And that's the way kind of this last year has been. It's been a year where we can't control a lot of the circumstances. But the thing is, even though the circumstances may be out of our hands, Nothing is out of God's hand. Let's put that, that slide up, Abby. Yeah, you know, I, I love this little picture here. And that's the title this morning is My Time is in Your Hands. Well, we use our hands to grow. We're responsible. But underneath our hand, underneath our life, there's another hand, and that's God's hand. And it's a good picture that maybe you can just see of circumstances may be out of our hands, but they're not out of God's hands. Never. And as I was contemplating just two days ago, I was just looking and searching and trying to find direction. I had direction, I thought. And I turned to to Psalm 31 because I had a Christmas story. But this was kind of personal to me. This was something that moved in my heart. And I'm just going to 
to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. So begin to begin with, let's just pray. Father, we need, I need your, your assistance. And that, Father, I would just be a vehicle that you would work through this morning. And that you would allow me to speak with the rhythm of grace, my mind, my heart. And that, Lord, if there's any word of encouragement to one person here, that, Father, you would open their heart. And that we would all, Lord, be open-minded, open-heartedness, that we would receive whatever you have. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the fun that we can have in life, the enjoyment. But we also know that there's, there are those that who have really been hurt this last year. And maybe there are those this morning that are hurting. We pray, Lord, that your hand would be placed upon them as you only can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this last year, we've gone through a lot of, um, I mean, globally, if not in your own family, in your own life, anxiety. We've faced that. We've gone through uh, this last year, being that we're hitting the Christmas month, December. Last December, we had none. We had Christmas, but there was not this. And that's what got me thinking about this whole thing of meditation upon Psalm 31. And through this last December to this December, there has been a lot of um, anxiety. There's been disillusionment. There's been confusion, maybe in families, maybe in your own personal life. There's been good things as well. And that's what I'd like to share. And just, we're not going to go through every verse. We're just going to take maybe, you know, eight to ten verses, and I'm just going to share what I feel needs to be shared, and hopefully that it would come across to where you would be blessed this morning. So let's begin in Psalm 31 and verse 1. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Just sit quietly on that. Shame. Let me just say this to begin with. In Christ Jesus, there is no shame. He took it. But we experience a lot of shame. And it's, it's this powerful emotion that can just consume us. Isn't that right? It's the, it's the emotion that tells you, I'm not enough. That's what shame takes us. And what's interesting about shame, it's often associated with personal failure or the appearance of failure. It could be the failure of not meeting somebody's expectation or the expectation of yourself. And we experience this shame. 
And this whole last year, I could say maybe there's a lot of people that have experienced shame. If shame is associated with failure. Some of you have felt you failed as a mother, a father. Sometimes crisis, sometimes things that we have gone through this last year. We create things in our imagination. I, cre- I, I failed as a, a pastor. I failed as a human being. I failed as a son, as a daughter. I failed in a relationship. And so with that feeling, that emotion, we come to shame, oftentimes. That emotion that says, I'm not enough. And these feelings can lock us into this cell called discouragement. And discouragement gives us that haunting feeling of hopelessness. So I sat in my corner meditating over Psalm 31. My prayer is, Lord, don't let me shame myself. Set me free from my own created sense of shame. For in Christ there is none. Look at verse 2. David says, Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Turn your ear to me. (laughs) I love the idiom, the Hebrew idiom in this, because it describes a child that is sitting on the lap of the mother. And the mother is conversing with a friend. And the child interrupts the conversation that the mother's having with the friend. Mom! Hush, hon. Don't interrupt mommy. It's okay. That's, that's a good way to teach a kid. Mom! This time I get time. Honey, don't interrupt mom. Mom! Same thing. And finally, the child sitting on the mother's lap reaches up to the mother's face, grabs her face, pulls it toward her, and says, Mom! That's the picture. Isn't that weird? You see, maybe maybe this is... David is describing something through the Spirit that um, it's okay to interrupt God because you can't interrupt God. It's an interesting concept here that I don't quite get, but I thought there's something deep here and I'm too shallow to get it, but that's all I can share with you. 
But it's actually an invitation to interrupt God. Lord, could you just acknowledge, this is what David is praying, but haven't we prayed this from December to, to December? Can you just acknowledge what I'm going through and the need that I have inside of my soul? Could you just hurry up and do something about this? You, have, you may not have gone through that, but you know people that have. In my position... There's a lot of people that have gone through that. And maybe there's a meditation here this morning. It's okay to ask God to hurry up. If it's okay with you for Him not to answer at the time you think he should answer. Maybe God's hurry is defined differently from yours. Just maybe. <laughs> I hope so because his hurry and my hurry are two different things, I think. Lord, could you hurry up? so you could open my mind and my heart so that I can get some wisdom? Gordy, your time is in my hands. God, could you just work in this person's life? Could you just work in my husband's life? Could you just work in my wife's life? Could you work in my son and my daughter? Would you just hurry up and do something? Their time is in my hands as well it's okay to pray could you just hurry up verse 3 since you are my rock and my fortress for the sake of your name lead me and guide me good prayer huh lead me and guide me keep me free from the trap that is set before me. For you are my refuge. The word trap is an analogy of an animal being pursued by hunters. I'm not being pursued, at least right now I'm not. That people want to come and take me out. I don't think anybody's pursuing you to take you out. So I began to think. And I, and I came across in, in my, the thinking of, of the verse in 1 Peter 5.8. Because there is the system that is pursuing you. There is a darkness that is pursuing our children, our adults, grandpas and grandmas. 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and sober and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Now I know the traditional viewpoint of the devil prowls around and we get so caught up into demons and everything else and I, I just don't want to even get caught up into it. I don't even care. I know there's a reality. 
But you know, I, I just really want to know about Jesus. <laughs> I, I want to I know about Jesus and I want to learn to walk with him. But listen, there are unseen powers, whatever you want to call it, however you want to call it. Or you may also say blindness. A blindness, these unseen forces cause us to be blind. They cover our eyes so we can't see who we are. We can't see that in Christ there is no shame. What if, what if these unseen forces are blinding us and seeking to bring collapse in your life during these days? That is a big one. What if there's a trap that's been set by the system, the unseen forces that wants you to fall and to collapse during these days? Because there's this guy, and I was thinking about this because I like to make it where it's somewhat understandable in my mind, and I'll call him Mr. Blindness or Mr. Blind. And that could be the unseen forces. That could be the world system or system that's causing you to be blind to the reality of God and the reality of who you are. And so this guy called Mr. Blind who is in this system, maybe Mr. Blind has the desire and the goal for you to give up. Maybe Mr. Blind wants to blind you for the importance of community. Community in your family. Community in relationships. You see, Mr. Blind is really real because Paul says, Lord, deliver us from our blindness. Maybe Mr. Blind, once you give up on relationships that used to be precious. It's a real deal. It's a real thing. And folks, I'm not saying to do more. We don't need any more to do. But maybe this is the meditation Lord, keep me, keep me from getting stuck in the trap that may be set before me from Mr. Blind. Boy, until you start really meditating on it and seeing the reality of it, you see that we could all get trapped in something. And I don't want to be stuck. As a human being, I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be stuck in, in some doctrine that actually is small. I don't want to be stuck in some theological system that is actually keeping me stuck. I don't want to be stuck with bitterness and anger 
in a relationship. That will just keep me stuck. And Mr. Blindness, I'll call him Dr. Blindness because he's an expert at what he does. He wants to put a blind over your eye in relationships, community, all these things. And it's in your blindness that you can't see the reality of what is. And what is is bigger than what you could imagine because what is is God's love and grace and the original design of which you were created. So, during this COVID year, as many of you, I, I, I went through a rough period. Everybody went through a rough period. And so as, as I sit in this Psalm 31, I began to think about these, these rough periods, and there were good times, the best times, but there were also some very, very rough times. And one of the things which I, I've desired years and years ago, but it really came to fruit during the COVID season. I wanted to be unstuck. And I was going to do something about it. And so this unstuckness that I desired erupted like a volcano erupting. I got tired of seeing people in division, churches dividing. And my sister is a, a pastor, one of the pastors down in, um, in Oregon. And, and, and just to hear her stories, where all of a sudden, as long as you got the programs and the Sunday school and church and, and everything just running smooth, it's fine. COVID hit, bam. I mean, it got so violent in some of those churches, they will never recover. And over and over again, and I began to, to see those stories and, and experience it in my own life. And, and, and I just cried out. I said, God, I want to be unstuck. I want to be unstuck from doctrine. Because Jesus never talked about doctrine. He talked about life. And when Jesus talked, he talked about not theology and doctrine, but life. And I says, Lord, I want to have life. And so that's where that sermon last month, or a month and a half ago, some of you may remember, it's called The Trespasser. <laughs> and I've always been a trespasser. But all the evangelical Christianity that I grew up with and the traditions and the teachings and the, and, and the colleges and everything else that I studied, I wasn't given anything up. What I'm giving up is the labels. So I trespass, I cross the fence. 
into unfamiliar territory. And there, as I crossed the fence, secretly, of course, I discovered treasures. And I began to just see a God that is, that his love is greater than what I've, well, I did imagine it. I just, now I wanted to accept it. I began to see things that resonated inside of my heart. And I began to change my doctrine, not of exclusives, being exclusive, but now including. And I began to struggle and fight and see the scriptures. And I became freer than what I have ever had experienced. And, and what, <laughs> it's so hard to explain. Though the COVID season from this last December to this December, there's been periods of depression and, and loneliness and shame and everything I'm sharing with you, but yet it has been the most revolutionary revival time in my life. And the things that the Holy Spirit was opening to me, not, I'm talking about me, is, is that it carried me through the misery and seeing the hurts and the division and just the silliness, the silliness of the body of Christ. I use the word silly because that's the only word that came to me months and months and months ago. I remember coming up to Seth and just saying, it's just silly. We are just silly. But for crying out loud, God just loves you as much as he ever has. We're just a little silly at times. Maybe this prayer, Lord, unstuck me in this season of Christmas. At least give me the patience, give me the courage in this journey of beginning to follow Jesus and not some particular way a pastor may think or somebody else. Consequences to that, you might be free or you may not be, you know. Verse, verse 7, David saw something about the deep love of God, and he says, I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my heart, of, of my my soul. Two verbs in this verse 7. The verb saw and the verb knew. And that means to me that God didn't, doesn't see vaguely. David was, was writing about this. He takes personal notice and personal attention. And, and if God's focus is on your pain and he and you have 100% attention of God, then the question is, why aren't you doing anything, God? <laughs> been there. You guys have been there. I've been there. Friends have been there. And yet it seems right here in verse, 
in verse 7 that David is completely comfortable with what he's going through right now. Because he knows that God sees his pain. And because he knows that God sees his pain. And if he doesn't do something about his burden and his pain and his sorrow, then God has got to have a good reason. It's just that simple. I mean, to me, I want to have all these doctrines. I want to have, why did God do this? And there's about 25 different things that you'll forget after two minutes of hearing it. You see what I'm saying? David was just so simple. There was a place in his life, on that day at least, where he said, well, you got a good reason, God. I'm just not that easy. Gordy's not that easy to persuade. On a good day, I can say, well, you got a good reason. But most days, on my funky days, nah. You see, he's comforted by the fact that he knows that the circumstances in his life are out of his hands, but nothing is out of the hands of God. You think about that. Like it's deep. That's the problem with words. They're just words. But man, when you meditate and you, you have, Lord, let me soak in that. I mean, you just soak in that little phrase I just gave you. That'll make a difference. That'll make a difference. In verse 10. So he says, my life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. My bones grow weak. Well, you know, you go through worry, you go through anxiety, you go through stress. What happens in this last year from last December to this, this December? Those things, stress and anxiety and whatnot, they impact my body. That's why some of us have weight. Some of us lose weight. Stress does that, doesn't it? That's what he's talking about. Some of us have gray hair. The worries and the stress? Mine is because I'm just old. Interesting though, isn't it? But you know what's interesting about this verse? It's so real to life. David had a great day. He said, man, I rejoice in the Lord. Verse 10 says, I'm stressed. I'm in anguish. Calling the roller coaster ride here. One day he's rejoicing. Next day, I'm in anguish. That's real life. One day it's confidence in God. The other day it's crying before him. This is reality. And you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's okay. We got to just rest and relax. Because there's things that we can learn in those times. Let's not stress over it. I've always wanted to be this stable guy, this strong person, you know, this strong leader. Nah, ain't going to happen. Go find somebody else. Because, man, when I have a funky day, I'm going to cry on your shoulder. <laughs> Trust me, I will. Seth is learning all about that. <laughs> right, let's move forward. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street 
flee from me. Hmm. When you're in a crisis, or from last December to this December, we need friends the most. When you're hurting and you have a crisis in your life, that's when you need friends. David's crisis was that people were running away from him. <laughs> he was driving people away. And through that rejection, it may be the rejection from your family members or a church or whatever where you're rejected because you wear a mask. Or you don't wear a mask. You know what I'm talking about. None of us are dumb. Some of you have gone through rejection in your family. And the thing that you need during this time are friends who can support you. But you know, sometimes when you don't have that, and I think this is with a lot of people, there's a sense of depression that takes place. And what does depression bring? Isolation. Either people withdraw from you because they don't know how to approach you. When they know that you're hurting or you've gone through something, it's hard for somebody else to have that confidence to come to you because they don't know what to say. Or you just pull away yourself. I'm the type of person that pulls away. I pull away. And I've pulled away through this last season. In, in certain days, I just call it my funky season. That's the way I am. Was it right? I don't know. I just needed to be away. And a lot of it is because I'm studying theology and doctrine and changing some things in my own thinking and wanting to make sure that I'm just not blowing smoke. But this is the real deal. So as we pull ourselves away, what happens? We find ourselves alone or lonely. And you come into a crowd and you are still alone. You just feel alone. Especially for those that, and, and, and praise God, we had AA through the COVID season here. But so many of them felt alone. And we'd have them scattered out downstairs and then up here. And people were scattered out. But it's, it's lonely when you're trying to face addiction and you feel that nobody is experiencing what you're experiencing. Or you're, you're in a crowd and, and there's a division in your family that's going on. There's a division within your own soul. There's a division of, of uh, uh, a financial crisis that maybe you're going through. And you go into the crowd and you're smiling but you're so hurting inside because you're depressed, you're alone, and you're lonely, and nobody else is going through what you're going through. 
And I think this hits kids, teenagers, young adults, heavier than anybody. They just keep it within. So what happens in verse 12? I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like a broken pottery. You feel useless. All this stuff, you feel useless. You, you, what do you do with broken pottery anyways? Well, we toss it, don't we? We toss it into the trash can. Unless you're an artist. You hear that? What do you do with broken pottery? Useless Broken pottery. We toss into the trash can unless you're an artist. Interesting. There is a uh, Japanese art. And that Japanese art is called kintsuki. I looked this up months ago. And uh, it is fascinating. It's the Japanese art of mending broken pottery. A piece of prop, a, a, a pottery had, had broken. And the, the, the word kent means golden, and the word sugi means rejoining. And so what they do, they repair this broken pottery with lacquer mixed in with the powder of gold and silver, and this is what is produced on this. These piece, pieces that are filled in with the gold seams, it was broken and they put those broken pieces together with gold. And the design itself, this is more beautiful now than it was originally designed. But it was broken. And there was an artist who came and picked up the broken pieces and made it beautiful. And I think that's with our character. I would encourage you to Google Kintsugi. K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. And you will be blown away with the Japanese philosophy. With the Japanese philosophy behind their, their artwork. Of why they do what they do. Lessons in life. And we need to keep moving, but I just want you to see that if you feel like a worthless, shattered pottery, <laughs> you can remember this. But the good news is that through your circumstances, though your circumstances may be out of your hands, nothing is out of the hands of God. When you entrust your circumstances into the hands of God, you will find that you are entrusting your circumstances in the hands of a craftsman. Then David makes a definitive statement in 14 and 15. But I trust in you, Lord, and I say you are my God. Verse 15, my times are in your hands. Deliver me. Etc. I just want you to see my times are in your hands. 
even in tough times. Your time is in God's hands. He is not the one who causes them, but you can trust them in that tough time because he believes in you. Folks, he believes in you. You are his child. Let that sink in. Even when we can't believe, he believes in you. Even when you can't see it, he believes in you. Before creation, you were God's dream. Let that sink in. That's what Ephesians 1 is talking about. Before you were even thought of by your mom and dad, God dreamed of you and thought of you before the foundation of this world. And that's why Jeremiah 1.5 talks about God knew me in my mother's womb. The Apostle Paul says the same thing in Galatians. I was filled with grace, but Mr. Blindness came to Paul and he blinded his eyes to the reality of who he was so he went out and murdered people. Put them in the prisons. Separated families. He was blinded to who he is because Dr. Blindness took over. <laughs> he couldn't see. He believes in you. He embraces you before you even knew you were a human. <laughs> okay? Let me say that he's, he's your best fan. He's your best fan. I was watching the Utah and Oregon game and, and there were a lot of fans from, from Utah cheering, singing, celebrating, just having a party and enjoying it and rooting for the team. And I, and, and, and I was thinking about that and I was thinking about those days when I was running in, in Oregon in the state track meet and we would run on the U University of Oregon track and they have a custom there that that the person coming around the corner, they would start clapping. And for a young little kid, you know, coming across, coming off the corner into the straightaway, every corner, and it was a two-mile run, so I got a lot of applauds. Ah, uh, yahoo! 10,000 people. And meditating upon the scripture, I thought about Hebrews, where it talks about, you have a cloud of witnesses. <laughs> there are billions and billions, if not zillions of people within the heavenlies, and they're <laughs> you. You. I got carried away on that one. But we're blinded to that. It says in John 1 that the, sh that the light shines within the darkness. Even though you're dark, you live in that darkness. And Dr. Blindness has blinded some of our eyes so we can't really see reality of life and reality of who we are and reality of who God is. The light is still shining and that's what we pray that we would see. And it says that he became flesh. He entered into our humanity. But what else did Jesus do? And I can't elaborate much on this, but it's a fascinating thing to think about is that he entered into your darkness. He's with you in that. John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he made all things through him. 
Colossians 1, the same thing. He says, you know, that, that he is the creator. Jesus is the creator of all things. And what else does he say? He says, and he is the sustainer of all things. <laughs> Nothing can exist apart from Jesus Christ. <laughs> what does that tell me? That tells me that you and my neighbor and the person walking down the street, that if it wasn't Jesus living inside of them, they would pew, evaporate. Okay. I could get in a lot of trouble by just saying that, but that's what it says. Now, we are blinded by Dr. Blindness, and we can't see that, but that's the reality of it. That's the reality of all of you. You're breathing, as Joe's saying, the breath of Christ as, he, as she's saying that, breathe. So that's what it's talking about. And so because we don't see, as we wrap it up things, wrap things up here, because we don't see your embracement we create our own belief systems about ourselves and what we believe ourselves, where did that come from? It came out of our hurts. It comes out of our wounds. It comes out of our imagination. All of your insecurities, my insecurities, come from the imagination of my mind. It's not coming from God. It's coming from my hurts and my wounds and my experiences of the past. And so I beat myself up with a sense of failure, but that's not you. That's not true. None of that is. Because see, God, God dreamed of you. You are God's dream child before creation before the creation of this world. But Dr. Blindness blinds us from that. It says his love counts no wrongs. His, his love is always seeing the best. The, the, his love always believes in you, always believes in you. His love would never fail. And that's why he says in verse 21, he says, praise be to the Lord, for he showed me the wonders of his love when I was in a city of siege. There's a picture of David here. The, 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 the city he was living in, it, the, it was being attacked and there was no way of getting out. And yet God showed him the wonders of his love. I don't understand this. All I know, and I can picture in my own head, is that there is a picture of we're surrounded by problems in our life. We're surrounded by doubts. We're surrounded by questions. What is life? What am I about? Am I going to make it? You know, all these questions and these emotions begin to haunt you and you don't feel that there's a way of escape. What if God in that midst shows you the wonder of his love? And I think that's what God did to me. And that's what God through all my life when you just feel there's no way of escape, there's no way, what am I about? I mean, I was young too. I went through all of that. And now, I'm an old gizzard, you know? I can only say this, without getting all fancy. Seek him in the midst of that circumstance. Realize your circumstances are out of your hands, but nothing is out of the hands of God. Look for it. Look for that love. 
Because I want to tell you, He's doing something behind the scenes in your life. He is up to something. He is greater than what you could ever imagine. His love and His grace is greater than you could ever imagine. His love is so great, it's not even possible to describe it. Ah! I wish I could, but I can't. I can't do that, because if I described it, it's not love. That's what Paul says. It's immeasurable. You can't measure it. You can't even talk about it. That's the love that is within you right now. You can't even describe it. You can't even hardly talk about it. All I can do is just use flimsy English words. He's in your presence. He's holding you. He's holding you. When you were born, He was holding you. Holding you before creation. And He will always hold you forever. From this day forward, he's that good. And as Joe comes up in verse 24, it says, Be strong and take heart, all you who are in the Lord. What's so interesting about all this, and as we get into communion here, I just want to share that um, this word, <laughs> this word, um, hope can be translated in another way. And, and that word is um, wait. Isn't that interest, interesting? Wait. And wait means to rest and to relax. Dallas Willard one time said, and I've been quoting this for the last two years, is, is do your best, trust God. Do your best, trust God. Just relax. See, he believes in you, even when you don't. He, it says in, in Ephesians 3.20, it says, He is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within you. And all I have to do, all I can say actually this morning, folks, <laughs> seek, wait, take courage. You're loved. He believes in you. Remind yourself of that constantly. And, and one of the, the ways that we can we can um, remind ourselves is what we call communion or what we call um, the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it. Chill out with Jesus' time. And when, when, when Jesus says, this is my, my body broken for you, we take the bread, and, and that bread is consumed by everyone. And that's a sign of his embracement. Individual, but together. <laughs> you can't separate from me, you know that? <laughs> you can't. You can run and hide, but you can't, because we're one. You're one. And the blood that was spilled, that's where the grape juice comes in, that we're all forgiven. But you know, in, in reality, um, communion is a time to recognize all of us together. With all of our opinions, differences, churches across the street, we're all one. 
And I just want to read this because I think it applies to what I was sharing this morning. It says in Ephesians 1, he says, How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he had lain, this is in the message translation, long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had you, he had us in mind. He had settled on you, settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long, long ago, he decided to adopt you, (laughs) all of us, into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. And here we are sulking. (laughs) Ah, silly human beings. Silly, isn't it? When you, ah, let's go on. So he wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift given by the hand of his beloved son, Jesus. I'm just going to read this here, and I wasn't planning on that, but it says, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross, we're a free people, free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all of our misdeeds. And not just barely free, but abundantly free. And it says here, he just thought of everything, didn't he? Provided for everything that you could possibly need. He led us on in the plans he took in such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ. A long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. So as we partake, maybe the thought is this. You are God's dream child. Father, as we partake in this communion, (laughs) what we heard this morning is beyond comprehension. We can't get it. (laughs) And we sulk and we become silly. I become silly. Man, I hate it, but I'm silly. We are your dream child. Embraced by you. Loved by you. And as we partake, Lord, may we just say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.